Today on Blue 58, the Packers have their man in Rich Bisaccia. Whether or not their special teams improve, though, that remains to be seen. But it seems like this is a step in the right direction. I'll tell you why. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode, and I'm prepared to give everybody what they want. 30 minutes on the acquisition of tight end Elise Mack. First, I think you got to realize that the Packers just have to keep investing in their tight end position. This is a, a step in the right direction. Big, strong target. And look, he hasn't even played in the NFL yet. It, it's going to be great. Seventh round pick two years ago, three years ago now. Everything is up from here. No, it's going to be special teams. We're talking special teams. It, much like Mr. Mack, everything is going up for the Packers special teams unit. They were 32nd in the league by DVOA last year, and Rich Bisaccia comes in to try to fix that. Special teams lifer, this fella. And I think before we get into his pros and cons, I want to talk about this a little bit philosophically. Now, I did a big long thing about who I would like for special teams coach, and basically uh, my idea was I don't want to retread. I don't want somebody who's failed somewhere else just getting another job in Green Bay and seeing seeing what they can do. That was basically the Sean Menenga story. He had basically been a low-level assistant on special teams for most of his NFL career, got one crack at being the special teams coordinator at Vanderbilt, and suddenly he's running the show for the Packers special teams units. And that went about as well as you would expect. Not very. The idea behind not wanting a retread is I wanted someone with new ideas, someone who hasn't had a chance to burn out elsewhere only to end up in Green Bay. The exception to that is somebody like Mr. Bisaccia. He has been a special teams, like I said, lifer. Just about every stop in his coaching career dating back to 1983 has involved some special teams work. Wayne State, 1983, defensive backs coach and special teams coach. Had a couple years off uh, of special teams at Wayne State in South Carolina through 89-90 when he added special teams coach responsibilities back in. And from there... Everywhere he's been, up until today, he's had some hand in special teams. He broke into the NFL in 2002 with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and has had some sort of special teams coordinating role ever since then. Oddly, in 2008, he was the assistant head coach, running backs coach, and special teams coach coordinator, excuse me, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. From there, he had a couple years in San Diego, resurrecting their special teams units, headed off to Dallas after that, and then spent the last three seasons, four seasons, excuse me, with the uh, Las Vegas Raiders, including a stint this past season as their interim head coach, and had a little bit of interest in head coaching gigs uh, beyond that. But now he is in Green Bay, and if you believe Tom Silverstein of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and really have no reason not to, he is likely the highest-paid special teams coach in the league. Sometimes you just got to pony up. And if you'll remember, the Packers are very likely in this situation because they refused to pony up three years ago. We don't have to recount the entire Darren Rizzi saga, but... That is basically what happened back then. They tried to lowball him. He said, no, thank you. 
went to New Orleans, got paid what he thought he was worth, and has coordinated a couple real good special teams units since then, while the Packers have, well, have not. It's been a long road to this point. Now the Packers appear to be taking steps towards fixing their special teams unit. And it should get fixed. Over on our Discord server today, old Packers fan writes in, among other things. This is not going to be the only look we take at Pisaccia. Uh, But he writes, basically, what has the typical improvement or decline been when this guy takes over? And there's a lot more we're going to have to say about special teams. I'm I'm doing a long-term research project on the kinds of guys who are are playing on special teams for the Packers and for other teams. But basically, when Bisaccia is your special teams coordinator, you are going to have a middle-of-the-pack or better special teams unit. His teams have only finished in the 30s twice since 2002 by Football Outsiders DVOA metric. His teams have only finished in the 20s four times since 2002. Every time other than that, it's been 19th or better. And dating back to 2012, he's posted four top 10 finishes, an 11th and a 13th, as well as a 21st last year. On average, he ranks just about 16th by DVOA, dating back to 2002. The Packers in that same span average about 21st in the league. But that gets a significant boost from some much better special teams units pre-2010 or so. In fact, in 2007 and 2011, so 2011, I guess not 2010, the Packers ranked 8th both seasons. But since then, they've only been above 16th one time. 2017, they were 14th. Since then, they've just been consistently bad. This year, the very worst in the league. Averaging, overall, 21st in the league by DVOA. And I use that number because I think it's the most consistent, holistic look at uh, your special team's performance. And boy, the Packers special teams have been anything but special since basically the turn of the century. But uh, to our friend old Packers fans' question specifically, what is the average improvement or decline when Bisaccia takes over? We've got four instances to look at. In 2002, he took over in Tampa Bay, and the Buccaneers ranked ninth by DVOA. That was the same as they did the year prior. It is worth mentioning that after his first season, when they went where were ranked ninth, they dropped to 32nd and then 30th before they made a consistent climb back up uh, to the mid-teens and even as high as fifth in 2009. In 2011, he took over in San Diego, The Chargers that year ranked 23rd by DVOA on special teams. That was a nine-spot improvement over the previous year. Interestingly, in 2010, the uh, Chargers special teams basically ruined their season. They had a a really good offense. They had a solid enough defense, and their special teams just brought them down game after game after game after game, and they ended up missing the playoffs entirely basically because of their special teams. Not great. In Dallas, Bisaccia took over in 2013, and they ranked 8th by DVOA that year. That was a 7-spot improvement uh, over the previous season, and they were awful good the previous year. Not awful good. They were 15th the previous year. Not too bad. The only situation where the team where he's taken over as special teams coordinator and they've gone down in the DVOA rankings is in Las Vegas slash Oakland. In 2018, he took over with the Raiders. They were 22nd that year. That was down five spots 
from 2017, where they were 17th. So overall, the Packers are making a big investment in special teams, but that is not going to be enough on its own. They've got to, they've got to do some additional work here. And I've been working to get some maybe more high-level information on what the Packers special teams schemes could look like under Bisaccia. We're not going to be able to talk about that today. Just haven't had the time to put that together. The news is still relatively late-breaking. The Packers have a new special teams coordinator. But I, I hope to bring you some stuff on that in the relatively near future. I also want to talk a little bit about the personnel investment. Because my suspicion over the past couple of years is that the Packers are using their special teams or using their roster to populate their special teams differently than other teams have. And I've gotten a couple of questions from readers and listeners behind the scenes on this, and I haven't been able to, to really put the work in to substantiate it yet. But I suspect if you look at the Packers compared to other, well, not other top teams, because that kind of implies that the Packers are a top special teams team, and they just aren't. But I suspect that the Packers have fewer guys who play the majority of their snaps on special teams than do the consistently elite special teams units. Right now, you've got the Packers punter, the Packers long snapper, and Mason Crosby, basically as the only guys who are playing exclusively on special teams. From there, they're relying on basically guys that are playing half defense and half special teams or really low-level guys who are playing exclusively on special teams. So think guys like Ty Summers. Now, you need guys like Ty Summers to make your special teams go, but you need more than just one. You need probably five or six, maybe eight to 10, if you're getting really generous there. But the Packers don't construct their roster that way, especially, well, just look at receiver. They want to keep six, seven receivers on the roster, but how many of those receivers really play special teams? And I'm not talking about just covering punts now and then. Equinemia St. Brown does that for sure. I'm not just talking about returning punts. I'm talking about uh, being on the coverage units on kickoffs. I'm talking about being uh, a blocker on on kickoff return, maybe even returning kicks regularly, more regularly than Amari Rogers occasionally moonlighting back there, Malik Taylor occasionally moonlighting back there. The Packers are structuring their roster basically entirely around offense or defense. And that is something that we've mentioned before that Maurice Drayton even even commented on. The Packers want to put all their chips into building their offense or and then whatever's left over into building their defense. And when you've got a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, you can understand why they would want to do it that way. But other units are necessarily going to suffer, special teams in particular. And we've seen the result of that suffering over the last couple of years. And it's led to a lot of suffering on our part as fans. This whole season, we kept saying special teams are going to cost him. Special teams are going to cost him. Special teams are going to cost him. And then get to the playoffs and what happened? The special teams cost him. Yes, Aaron Rodgers could have played better. Yes, he could have. Very much so. But the degree to which Aaron Rodgers messed up the Packers' offense pales in comparison to the abject failure that was the Packers' special teams. A blocked field goal, a massive return, setting up points for the 49ers, a blocked punt, and 10 guys on the field on the deciding play of the game. I know it probably wouldn't have made any difference at all, but just the very optics of it boggle the mind. The season hanging in the balance, and you can't even get the correct number of players on the field for the play. 
just boggles the mind. So if you're looking forward to 2022, Packers' new special teams coordinator, Mr. Bisaccia, can't do anything but go up. Can't get worse than 32nd. Heard somebody say in, in description of, of where the Packers special teams uh, unit could go in 2022, look, it can't fall off the floor. And that's where they're at heading into this season. Hopefully there's a philosophical shift that goes along with the, the new coordinator. Paying the premium guy on the market is a step in the right direction. And related to that, I was thinking about this yesterday and today as the news came out that the Packers were in the running uh, for Mr. Bisaccia. When is the last time that the Packers were both connected to and ended up getting the guy considered the best fill-in-the-blank on the market? I really think you got to go back to probably Reggie White and Mike Holmgren, the best defensive free agent, the best available head coaching candidate. Because since then, the Packers have been also rans a lot of times, and they just haven't pursued the highest end targets a, a lot of the time. This is an example of the Packers identifying a need, going out and targeting the very best available guy to fill that role, or I get maybe consensus best guy, and getting him. And now they've got, filling their position of need, the best special teams coordinator candidate available on the market this offseason. It is a step in the right direction. It is not the only step they need to take, but it is a step in the right direction. Speaking of steps in the right direction, the Packers' defense took some enormous steps in 2022. Joe Barry is the last of the coaching staff that I really want to spend time talking about. We could talk about Maurice Drayton, but there's really no reason to. We all know the Packers' special teams were abysmal this year. So in addition to Matt LaFleur and personnel man Brian Gutekunst and team president uh, Mark Murphy, this is going to do it for non-player evaluations in our off-season rundown here. Joe Barry taking over for the Packers in 2021 as their defensive coordinator, not an uncontroversial selection, considering some of the other names that were in, in the mix. Dating back to the time he was hired, Joe Barry was pretty clearly the second choice. Jim Leonard was offered the job and turned it down. And ultimately, Joe Barry ended up having it. St. Louis Rams defensive coach Ajiro Avero was also in the mix. He looks like he's going to be getting some big opportunities here in the very near future. But ultimately, it's Joe Barry. And I was against that at the time, but since then, I think I've been proven pretty decisively wrong. That isn't to say I wouldn't have liked to see what, uh, what other guys would have done, but Joe Barry was a marked improvement over what the Packers have had since basically prime Dom Capers. Don't forget, as long as, you know, as long as, as many years as Capers' defenses underperformed in Green Bay, there were some elite performances early in his career. And yes, their talent was very high. Their level of talent on defense in 2009 and 2010 
was pretty phenomenal. But Caper's scheme worked, and it worked. Boy, did it work. Joe Barry is the best since then, by far. And how did he do it? Well, the good is pretty good. Packers tackling was way better than in years past. We don't have to bore you with the numbers, but going by just about every stat compilation site you could turn to, Pro Football Focus, Pro Football Reference, individual charting stuff, the Packers tackled better in 2021 than they have in years and years and years. Across the board, fewer missed tackles at every level, at the defensive line, edge rushers, inside linebacker, secondary, what have you, the Packers were better. Just better, period. Secondly, the Packers were surprised a lot less frequently. Boy, did I harp on this a lot. In 2018 and 2019 and 2020, we hammered Mike Pettin for consistently getting surprised by the obvious. Packers' early season loss to the Minnesota Vikings in 2020 is the prime example. A cold, windy day at Lambeau Field. What are the Minnesota Vikings going to do? They're going to run with Alvin Cook. They're going to run play action with Kirk Cousins, and they're going to attack with their tight ends. And what did the Vikings do that day exactly that thing? And Pettin refused to change his approach, and the Vikings ran all over them, ran out the clock, and just prevented the Packers from having enough possessions to get out of their own way. You didn't really have that with the Vikings this year. It happened a little bit, but not that much. By and large, the Packers seemed to be competent the vast majority of the time. They were prepared to counter what other teams were going to do because they recognized what other teams were going to do and prepared themselves to defend it. Bottom line, this season, defense wasn't the problem. That's that famous line that Mark Murphy allegedly said to Aaron Rodgers. Don't be the problem. You could also apply that to the defense. And guess what? In 2021, they weren't. That's not to say it was all good, though. That week one loss still sticks with me. In the grand scheme of things, it's a pretty small thing. The Packers really hadn't had their defense together for any amount of time, given how they handled the preseason. They were playing in an unfamiliar environment, going on the road to Jacksonville on relatively short notice, and they were playing a a Saints team that was completely different than they had been a year ago. You didn't really know what to expect from the Saints, sure. You still shouldn't give up points, 35 points, to Jameis Winston. Just shouldn't happen. The Vikings lost two is another of the, the the Packers' defense poorer performances on the year. But even so, I think in that game, the game plan was solid. They were in position to make play after play after play. They just could not, for the life of them, catch one of the many interceptions that Kirk Cousins was trying to give them. You can almost picture Kirk Cousins standing back there and just be like, please, take the ball. Please, please, Darnell Savage, please catch it. I'm trying to give it to you. But they just would not accept it. They could not accept the many gifts that Kirk Cousins tried to give them. Kirk Cousins tried to give them. That's an execution thing, not a coaching thing, but still, 
you got to hang that a little bit on the defense. The bottom line was, though, that the defense was better. But the question is why? Why was the defense better? The saying in football is Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's. Players, not plays. The Packers ran a different scheme in 2021. Was that why their players were better? Or was it that they had better players? Let's start with the scheme. I think there is some truth to the Packers scheme being better in 2021. It just seems more suited to the modern NFL game. The Packers built their defense as everybody from the Fangio scheme tree does from back to front. Their coverages had to be in place first. Then they fit their their fronts underneath that. And it worked. The Packers did a better job, I think, in 2021 of limiting explosive plays by opposing offenses because their coverages were sound. They weren't trying to fit in stuff behind these exotic, I say that with air quotes, blitz schemes that Mike Pettin liked to run that didn't ever really go anywhere. They got their coverage in order and let their front go from there. I think that helps the pass rush a lot. And it helps that they were running a a pass rush scheme that involved simple one-gap penetration versus a lot of the two-gap stuff that Mike Penton likes to do. That helps a lot, too. But I think there's a really strong case to be made that the Packers' defense was better just because they had better players. Look at the corners they rolled out in the 2020 NFC Championship game. They had Jair Alexander, sure, but beyond that, they had Kevin King and Shannon Sullivan. This year, in their final game of the year, they had Eric Stokes, Rasul Douglas, and Jair Alexander. Two out of those three are better for sure. Might be three out of three, even if Jair wasn't terribly great in the divisional round loss. At inside linebacker in 2020, the Packers had Christian Kirksey. Enough said there. This year, Devondre Campbell, an all-pro. Significant step up there. Even if go back a year prior, Devondre Campbell versus Blake Martinez, it's still going to be Campbell. The pass rush, 2020, Zedaria Smith, good, though diminished from 2019, Rashawn Gary still figuring it out, and Preston Smith, who I think, charitably we can say, came in a little bit out of shape to start the season. And though he did improve down the stretch, it was rough for a while there. This year, though, even without Zedaria Smith, you've got Rashawn Gary going from good to, in many ways, elite. You've got Preston Smith playing more like 2019 Preston Smith. You've got Kenny Clark playing as well as he has in a long time. More on him in a second. And then you've got a career year from Dean Lowry. That's a big improvement, I think, across the board. It's improvement at edge rusher, and it's improvement on the inside. A lot of that improvement came from Kenny Clark. In 2020, Clark was limited to just 13 games, and he was fairly significantly unhealthy, probably for at least three of those 13. Significantly less than 100%. Let's put it that way. But this year, played in 16 of 17 games, and I would say, just generally speaking, much healthier. So yes, the scheme probably did help some, but the Packers, in addition to having a better coordinator, had a lot better talent on defense. And that's saying something, considering they went most of the year without Jair Alexander or Zedaria Smith. By and large, I think the talent level was better on defense in 2021. I'm interested in your thoughts. Why do you think the Packers' defense was better in 2021? What do you think the outlook is for 2022? I admit, right now, a little bit uncertain. We'll see what they're able to bring back. And boy, 
it's going to be a while of saying that. We really got to see what the Packers roster ends up looking like six weeks from now before we can make any real prognostication as to what 2022 could be like because they could be going in a couple different team building directions that really affect what 22 is going to look like. We'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. In the meantime, that's all I've got for you on this episode. I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate all your ongoing support of Blue 58 and the Power Sweep. It means a lot to me. really does. I appreciate everybody who donates to our Patreon. If you are considering that, patreon.com slash thepowersweep is the place to do it. You'll get bonus content and access to our Discord server, which I personally think is the best benefit you can get because you get a chance to connect with some other really smart Packers fans from around the world. The level of discussion in there is just phenomenal. Uh, Day in, day out, week in, week out. High-level stuff going on in there. Uh, We're really working together to get smarter about this sport that we all love to follow. If you can't do that, just consider sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That's really the number one way that we grow. Getting more people to listen starts with you. And if we can get more people to listen, we can grow this conversation that you and I are having around the Green Bay Packers, this team that we love, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, maybe me especially, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.